You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Hey, welcome to another episode of the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Steven, and I'm here with Caroline Cash. Hello, everyone. And a special guest today, Derich Phillips. What's up? Happy to be here. Thank you so much yes. for coming, man. We're glad you're here. Derich is an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a veteran. I, I mean, what aren't you? <laughs> I mean, you're a father. Right. Um, I mean, you, you got all the things. If there was a checklist of everything that is manly, you, you have it. Um, Derich, uh, I want to share just kind of your biography a little bit because you just came out with a book that's a series of books that's going to be coming out. Yeah, it'll be a series. Okay, you're coming out with a few more. Okay. Derich wrote a book called Poverty Powerball. Derich was born and raised in the city of Gary, Indiana. We need some subscribers Garage. in Gary, Indiana to <laughs> pick up this podcast. The 219. So if you're out there the in the 219, please come. Uh, he earned a master's of business administration at uh, Grand Canyon University and a bachelor's degree in occupational education from Wayland Baptist University. Derich currently works as the founder and chief mentor at Mentor Select. And that's in Dallas, right? Yes. Dallas, Texas, uh, with his wife, Raquel, and now daughter is she hired yet is she a part of the team <laughs> yeah she's already put out of work she, okay. <laughs> she's already marketing my book <laughs> all right man that's good how did you meet your wife and tell me that whole story i moved to dallas in 2008 originally from indiana as you know now but my wife she's from ohio toledo ohio and she moved here in 2012 and we actually met online, a dating website. Wow, that's awesome. Called, called Plenty of Fish. So we're one of those success stories. <laughs> but yeah, we met in 2012, October 2012. And first date went well. We had tacos. <laughs> went to a little taco diner. Just talked for hours. So we certainly had that chemistry immediately. And yeah, it's been the rest is history. Okay, man. Cool. So now, yeah, we, uh, we just had our baby first. <laughs> So that's exciting. And actually, my wife, she's hosting, well, she, she has a YouTube channel. She does a weekly videos. It's called the Phillips Found Baby Journey. And she talks about our journey of going through fertility issues. So that's, wow. that's, that's really, okay. she's, she's doing her thing, too, on the, on the media side. That's so, cool. Yeah. Man, that's some meaningful work that y'all are doing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what church did you say that y'all were going to? Shoreline City. Me too. You go to show small world. <laughs> sort of like six people in that room. Wow. Six I love that church. It's, That's it's awesome. awesome. Everyone at Forerunner goes to Shoreline. So. Steve, so do you have kids? No kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've been freed up. Uh, though I did have a dream that Katie and I had a baby, <laughs> and the day was May 26th. Wow. So <laughs> now that this is recording, the date. I am, uh, I Proclaiming mean, we have it. record. <laughs> of if it happens, we'll look back at this recording. So wow, be special. So yeah, so I'm like looking at what is nine months. Yeah, I was about to say, that? are you counting back? <laughs> coming up, <laughs> coming up. A special so. date night. <laughs> You're romantic. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> but yeah, so okay. Well, we're excited to have Derek on the podcast. Yeah. We read his book this week, and we're super encouraged and challenged by your life, man, and mm-hmm. your own personal experiences that you've walked through. 
as you know, our podcast is about mentoring kids from hard places. And so we want any stories that, that we have on the podcast to encourage mentors and understanding right. the experiences of the kids that we serve, as well as growing in an understanding of the, the culture and the life that are around our schools, around our neighborhoods, around us in life. And I know Gary, Indiana probably looks a little different than Dallas. Um, maybe you could even hit on that. What, what's different about Gary than Dallas? Like as you've kind of moved over here. So Gary, most people when they hear Gary, they think about the Jackson five, Michael Jackson. Okay. That's, that's where they grew up. So it's automatically think about that. But Gary's about 26 miles east of Chicago. So it's close to a big city. If you think about the proximity from Plano to downtown Dallas, kind of okay. just that close. That's good. But it, when I grew up there, it had about 120,000 residents. So it's a small city. But other than being home of the Jackson 5, it, during the 90s, it was the murder capital of the United States, just based on the size and the number of murders per year. Wow. So it, it, it truly was like growing up in a war zone. Had several friends shot and killed before I even graduated high school. Unfortunately, witnessed some of those uh, murders. So it was a lot of trauma, a lot of drugs, yeah. crack cocaine. was a huge epidemic there. So it was, it's a rough city. But just like yeah. you all say, kids from rough places, that's, that's one of those rough places. Because if you think about Gary, just view it as a suburb of Chicago. I'd love for you just to explain uh, to our listeners kind of a little background about uh, the context you grew up in, mm-hmm. what was life like, what was school like, uh, what was family life like? Um, mm-hmm. Could you just kind of paint a picture for our listeners as they, uh, yeah, just listen to your story? Certainly. I think the, the best place to start, I think, uh, when I was 11 years old, and I, looking back on that, that was, it was kind of like the, the worst period of my life. Over a period of six months, my mom, uh, two sisters, and I, we all we went from um, being evicted from our house to living in a homeless shelter to living out our van for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Then, so with all of that, then we finally landed in another house, and within a couple of weeks, uh, on this particular day, uh, it was my sister Taylor. She was two years old at the time, and like I said, I was 11. We we're in the front yard just playing. And I remember two cars pulled into our driveway. One was a police car. One was a Nissan Maxima. And initially, I immediately thought, like, oh, man, what did I do? I'm in trouble. (laughs) Because at the time, I was already still in, already hanging out with gang members, just really going down the wrong path. So you're 11 years old, and you see a police car, and you're like... Busted. (laughs) Someone snitched on me. Right. So as the police officer gets out his car and the lady gets out, the uh, Nissan Maximum, and they start approaching us. And re- I, my initial reaction, like, officer, I didn't do it. Just mm-hmm. that was my mindset. Like, I, I, I'm in trouble. And the officer, he kind of laughed. He's like, I, I'm not here for you. I need to see your mother. And at that time, the officer went into our house, and then the lady, she introduced herself as, I'll never forget her name, Carol. And she was a caseworker with Child Protective Services. So she instructed us to go to the car with her. And as my sister and I are sitting in the car, of course, we're confused or afraid. 
By this time, I think we were both crying. And we see my mother come out, followed by the police officer. And by this time, my mother, she's screaming and cursing at the police officer. And Carol explained to us, like, your mom is sick and we need to take her to get a mental evaluation. So that was the first time it really dawned on me. Like, I realized that all that, those hardships I mentioned about getting evicted, being homeless, Mm -hmm. that that was taking a toll on my mother because she went to, she started smoking cigarettes a lot, like two packs a day. And she would just like talk to herself and just going through all that. But being 11, I didn't quite understand what was going on. But even then I knew I had to kind of step up and fill that void and help take care of my little sister. And so that day we ended up going, Carol took us to the Child Protective Services. Once we arrived, my older sister, Unique, was there. She's two years older than me. And my sister kind of had a better understanding of what was going on and explained to me that, yeah, mom's sick. She's going to get help. But I also realized, like, okay, our lives will never be the same at that after that point. But we're kind of wondering, like, okay, are we going to stick together? Are we going to be sent to a group home? What's going to happen? And over the course of a couple hours, uh, my little sister, Taylor, her father came to get her. So she left. Then at this point, it was just my older sister, Unique, and I. And my, we have the same father. So my older sister, our father showed up at the child protective service offices with his mother. And they took Unique. and But they didn't take me. Wow. So that was, mm-hmm. I was kind of confused, like, what's going on? And Carol, after they left, Carol explained to me like, that uh, my father's name was not on my birth certificate. So I could not go live with them. Wow. So at that point, just a lot of thoughts going through my head, like, then who, whose name on my birth certificate? Yeah. <laughs> like, who is my father? Is this man really my father? Uh, who am I? So I felt like mm-hmm. that was probably my lowest point. Like, I completely, like, lost half of my identity because the, who I thought was my father, now, at least from paperwork side, from birth certificate point of view, he's not my father. And, like, being at that lowest point, uh, I spot, like, a a familiar face. My Uncle Tommy, who is my mother's older brother, he was about 20 years older than my mother, he comes in into the room and lets me know that I'm going to live with him. In hindsight, what ended up being the worst day of my life, worst period of my life, ended up being the best day of my life at the same time because my Uncle Tommy, he was stable. He had financial stability. He uh, worked for a living. And he, he pretty much was a positive influence, and he filled that, that father role at a point where I needed it the most. Mm-hmm. So I ended up staying, my Uncle Tommy ended up being my legal guardian up until I graduated high school and joined the Army. And my mother, she ended up, being committed to essentially a mental hospital for about four years. No, up to my sophomore year is when she actually was able to get out and live on her own. Okay. Um, but it's kind of a summary, <laughs> yeah. you know, a little, little tip of the sphere. Well, I mean, it's just so much to take in mm-hmm. as an 11 year old in like yeah. the course of a few hours, it seems like. So many emotions you're too. Losing, mm-hmm. Don't know if you're going to see your sisters again. What's going on here with mom? Who's my dad? Like, yeah. <laughs> like even an adult could not right. like contain themselves on like trying to deal with all of those issues at the same time. And I mean, that, I mean, could, could you even just kind of explain more about like before then your relationship with your father or 
the man you you thought was your father. I don't know if you figured out if because I thought I read something in your book where like you look like him or something right, like that. Right, right. So the man who I was told my father and I've accepted to this point that is my father. So we look identical. <laughs> it's just one of those things like you don't need a DNA test. Yeah. But what's ironic about that is growing up, he was even though we live in the same city and I described this as a small city, he was all but absent. Like mm-hmm. I knew who he was and I have like a handful of memories of going because he lived with his mother, going over to his mother's house and just like a handful of times, never any time like us really just hanging out or father, son, none of those type of experiences. But the the recollections I do have is times where he would communicate to me or my mother that, oh, I'm going to come pick, pick, pick them up mm-hmm. so we can hang out and spend some time together and like being so excited and just so anxious and just waiting for him all day to come and he'd never show up. Mm-hmm. And things like that happened over years up until, and I remember right around, right around age 10 or 11 where I finally realized after all that disappointment all being let down, like, he's not coming, he's, he's a deadbeat. He's not going to be in my life and kind of accepted it, but at the same time with so much anger and resentment with that that I carried for a long time. And <clears throat> it was uh, one, Tupac, he's one of my favorite rappers, and it was during that time period, he came out with something called Dear Mama. And one of his verses, he says, uh, they say, I'm hard and I'm hopeless, but all alone I was looking for a father, he was gone. Mm. And my anger wouldn't let me feel for a stranger. So that's how I kind of felt from that point where I decided, okay, he's not going to be in my life. My father, he's essentially dead to me. I felt like he was a stranger, and yeah. it, but it was so much hatred towards him. But even then, when I was 11, being in that Child Protective Services office, I still wanted to go live with him. I still wanted to yeah. be with my older mm-hmm. sister. So it was, it was a lot of emotions to process, but, but I guess kind of a happy ending with it is uh, about a two, maybe a year ago, two years ago, I was reading something and I came across a Nelson Mandela quote and he talked about how when you're holding that anger and resentment towards someone, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah. And it really clicked for me. Like all those years I've been drinking poison, have that anger towards my, my dad and mm-hmm. call him like my sperm donor. I wouldn't even call him my dad. I couldn't bring myself to call him mm-hmm. my father or dad. Uh-huh. I would just say it's my sperm donor. And it dawned on me like that's I'm drinking that poison. I'm carrying that that wow. hatred, that help. And it's it's not hurting him. It's hurting me. Mm-hmm. So that, that just in that moment, so I'm okay. I'm, I'm gonna let go. And it took took time for me to get to the point. But about three months ago, I actually called my father. I hadn't talked to him. Can't remember, maybe since I was 11, 12, that time period. Wow. Called him. And it was he was happy to hear from me. He was we just had a regular conversation. It was pointless for me to say, okay, why wasn't he there? Like grilling him about it. It was just, hey, let's move forward. Let's what are we gonna do now as far as rebuilding this relationship? Mm-hmm. And so now I realize that the greatest part of it is open the door for him to be a grandfather, for him to be in my daughter's life. So happy about that. So much forgiveness had yeah. to take place. And we've talked about that a little bit on here before of just like the need for forgiveness when it comes to working with kids from hard places. There's not a lot. It's hard to process 
hard things that go on and to get to that point where you're able to forgive. Um, and so for you, I know that that wasn't like an overnight decision or it just didn't, it didn't happen in a day. And so what were some of the resources or relationships that you had in your life from 11 till now that kind of got you from anger and resentment and where to where you, now where you were able to actually forgive and move forward? I'll say the biggest one was really accepting God in my life, uh, really definitely my spirituality, because even though I was raised in the church, my grandma's really religious. I used to go to church every mm-hmm. Sunday, choir practice, all of that. But actually, once I moved my Uncle Tommy, he wasn't, he was religious, but he didn't make us go to church or anything like that. So I kind of didn't really, wasn't involved in church. And then once I became an adult, I just kind of carried that over. But getting back involved in church, which happened recently within the last couple of years, it kind of opened up my heart and I realized just how important forgiveness is and how no one is perfect. And mm. just, you just, it's no point in dwelling on the past. Yeah. It just, it, I think, uh, um, what's her name? Mahalia Jackson. She talks about how the greatest gift you can give is forgiveness. Forgive everybody. And it's yeah. a gift to yourself. So that's mm-hmm. something that really dawned on me. Like, yeah, any anybody that I'm not forgiving, that's just a gift that I'm withholding from myself. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. taking up space in my heart that I can be using it for something positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Uh, but other than God, definitely family, friends, people who have forgiven me when I've made mistakes. Mm-hmm. And just I don't don't want to be a hypocrite. I know that. It's like, again, no one's perfect, and I want to be yeah. forgiven, so I need to be able to forgive others. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and it and it sounds like usually for for most people, they'll look to their their dad as their mentor, like someone who would speak into their life mm-hmm. and like help them through difficult challenges and help them emotionally mature and like all of those things and um. I mean, just in in your process of walking through not just forgiveness, there's a lot of other emotions that yeah. I, I feel like you've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, Wide range. <laughs> <laughs> um, many of our mentors are committing to investing in the life of a, a boy or a girl who's had one of those primary relationships bail. Whether that was their own volition, they decided to leave, or the relationship with mom didn't work out, or they passed away, or they were incarcerated, or, I mean, just fill in the blank, all of the societal issues that create the environment for children to lose those primary relationships, what encouragement would you have to a mentor who's coming into that 11-year-old's life and trying to help them process their emotions. Do you have any advice for a mentor that's kind of entering into that space? Biggest advice I would say is that when you look at changing the world, sometimes people get discouraged by that. When you say, okay, you can change the world. At the end of the day, it really comes down to changes one person's life. You change one person's life, you've changed the world because ch- mm. they're going to pass it forward. And it's just going to be a domino effect. So that's what the opportunity that mentors have. Just they can have that impact on one person's life, that mentee. Mm-hmm. And it can be whether it's for a year, whether it's for a month, or for a lifetime. You just don't know what encounter that is going to have on that child's life. And I've had a lot of mentors throughout my life where 
it may have been for a really short period of time, but just for them taking time out of their busy day, just showing interest in me, loving on me, just being that shoulder to cry on us, want to listen to, listen to me, that, that made a huge difference. And you just, for a mentor, you just, you, you can't put a price on that. Yeah. Mm. I think that's good. Like even just hearing from you as someone who has experienced trauma, um, for you to say, even mentors that were in my life for a short period of time made some difference in my life, I think is really encouraging to our mentors, especially as we, um, we hear a lot about mentors where their kids might move to another city or another part of town or switch schools or where the relationship becomes, um, more difficult in the sense where they either physically can't reach them anymore or communication ends for some reason. Um, but the fact that that was not lost, like that relationship, whether it be a super long period of time or a very short period of time, that relationship was not, um, for nothing and that there is differences that can be made. Um, I just think that's a huge encouragement. So mm-hmm. mentors out there, <laughs> tune yeah, in seriously. Definitely mentors. Because it, it, it's not all or nothing. It's just, as long as you, you, your heart's in the right place, you're genuine, you, you show interest in that child, yeah, it's, it makes an impact. Mm-hmm. No one says how long it needs to be, but it, it really makes an impact. An example of that is, so I told you all the situation about my Uncle Tommy becoming my legal guardian. Mm-hmm. What what was ironic about that, it really came full circle. Once I uh, was discharged from the Army, I was 22 years old. Within a week, my little sister at the time, she was 13, Taylor, by this time, she came to live with me in Phoenix because wow. she was in the exact same situation where she didn't have that stability and I was the best option for her. And even though I didn't have any kids at the time, I wasn't married, to take on a 13-year-old, I didn't think twice about it because mm. my Uncle Tommy did it for me. So, and I knew the impact it had on my life. I would change the trajectory. So it's like, okay, if I can do this for someone else, then I have to do it. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. That's good, man. I want to even, like, ask you a question about you joining the military, you go into Iraq and Afghanistan. What kind of led you down that path? Tell me what was kind of going through your head when, when you were making that decision. Really, the biggest influence was um, on September 11th. I remember it was my mm-hmm. senior year of high school. I was getting ready for school, watching the news. And I remember watching that second plane flying to the towers and seeing everything that unfolded after 9-11. And the biggest impact it had on me was seeing how the country united, came together. And I realized, like, I don't want to be on the sidelines. I want to be just how those first responders are running in those towers and running into the Pentagon to save people, putting their life at risk. Like, wow, that's something so noble. It requires so much courage and just selfless service. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, I really want to be a part of that. So that was the biggest influence. And then the, the secondary influence was my Uncle Tommy, his, both his sons were military. He had a son that retired from the Marines, another son served in the Navy. So they would come home for just leave, vacation, and tell me about their stories and me seeing them traveling around the world. So that appealed to me as well. So it was a combination yeah. of those two things. Wow. Because wow. what I pick up from what you just said is that in your own 
like headspace, you're seeing a purpose. You're seeing people live out a purpose, a meaningful life, a heroic lifestyle. And then also you're seeing it in the family of, of the man who took you in right? and his sons. And so in essence, like the mentor, Tommy, who took you in, who really wasn't a mentor. He was a father figure Absolutely. to you. And he still serves in that role today. He's 72, still my wow. father figure. But his relationship, him entering into your life, created an environment where you saw opportunity and purpose and a future of, I could I could do this because they've done it. And so right. um, I think that's really powerful. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think our mentors, like... You're, I don't know, maybe some guy doing finance downtown or like consulting. <laughs> They're probably not thinking like their kids like, man, I could be a consultant or or something. <laughs> probably not. But you definitely see it when one of our mentors who's a firefighter shows up mm-hmm. and they recognize these men are serving in our community and like you just see these kind of light bulbs going off where they're connecting to futures and dreams more than they ever would if they didn't have a mentor kind of displaying a future, if that makes sense. Right. So and It's definitely a greater sign of putting on that uniform and just, just comes so much respect comes with it because of the people that served before you, mm-hmm. but also the mentors who don't have those type of careers. They're in uniform or doing something that seems so heroic. It's, being a mentor really is heroic. So just realize that it, doesn't matter what you do long like say long as your heart's in the right place you you're there to you have that that kid's best interest in mind mm-hmm. you, you're just as heroic you're just as courageous we all serve in different capacities and, yeah so. all you finance consultants <laughs> down there heroes heroes <laughs> you're manly man maybe maybe one kid that you mentor will get really passionate about consulting KPMG. <laughs> <laughs> they, they need they need people they're always looking yeah. I'd love to even just talk a little more about your book because I mm-hmm. feel like your story connects to um, something I haven't spent a lot of time even thinking about. One of the quotes I pulled from your book was that all blessings are not obvious. Many are disguised in the form of adversity. And I just love if you could unpack what you're saying in that because I, I think you're even when we started this podcast, you're sharing a really difficult situation with your family. Right. And then the next sentence, you're like, well, you know, it actually worked out. And that connection, I'm like, well, where's, yeah. can you draw the the line between those two statements? Because that's because, not natural for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, like your blessings disguised within adversity. Can you unpack what you're saying there? I think I got that from my grandmother. She used to always say about blessings in disguise and, really realizing that the hardships you're going through, any adversity, there's always something to be taken from it, to be learned from it. And even Uncle Tommy's always say, you don't lose, you learn. So just that 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 mindset. And with the book, what really gave me the framework for the book is one Jay-Z quote that I have in there, where he says, since I made it here, I can make it anywhere. And Jay-Z was talking about 
growing up in Marcy Projects. His father left when he was 11 years old. He, he turned to selling crack cocaine. But he realized by the time he's 19, that, hey, I've, I've developed a lot of skills, transferable skills from these hardships mm-hmm. that hey, if I made it here, making it in the boardroom, making it in the music, making it in whatever I set my sights on, it's going to be easy. So that's that's how I kind of had that mindset growing up, especially once I left Gary, realizing that, hey, I came from a really hard place. But that's given me a competitive advantage because mm-hmm. it's made me so mentally tough. It's made me so resilient. You can't you can't buy that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people who haven't had hardships, everyone has hardships, but in the context of those type of hardships, they don't know how they're going to react when they're under stress when they're hit when they're hit with some type of adversity so that gives them some insecurity but if you've what we call the military if you're battle tested you've been through battle and you made it out you're ready you're you're mentally physically ready for whatever you're going to face so that's how I approach life like there's I've already been through battle I've already been through so much it's nothing I can think of that I'm, I'm be afraid or and it's okay to be afraid but it's nothing that I'm not going to face because I've been through it and it's and I'm thankful in hindsight of all I've been through because as I point out in the book each hardship I can highlight a very valuable life lesson I learned I call it my winning ticket and it's been my competitive advantage that kind of where I got the whole concept for the title poverty powerball because if you think about the lottery most people to play a lottery are in poverty they're poor and they're really looking for external sources for wealth to get them out of that that situation. And it's my mindset that that wealth has already exists in them. It's through their experiences, those hardships that they're enduring have endured. Mm. That's wealth. That is value there. Just like Jay-Z realized he can transfer that wealth, transfer that value to something legal. You don't have to stand on the corner anymore. Now he can hustle CDs. Now he can, things like that. So it's it's really helping those kids realize that, what they've gone through isn't for waste. They didn't lose. They learned a lot, and they're so much stronger as a result. So, yeah. Wow. That's, that's wow. my philosophy. <laughs> that's cool. So we're trying to figure out what's the dynamic of acknowledging pain, acknowledging hurt and emotional brokenness, while at the same time seeing what you just said of like, you didn't lose, you learn, like you don't lose, you learn. How, how does a mentor kind of walk that line of acknowledging a a kid's past while at the same time, not feeding into this victim mentality or like thinking that they have, they need something from without. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah, I was about to mention that that victim mentality is toxic because once you start feeling sorry for yourself, it's, yeah. it's all down. And in the role of a mentor, like you mentioned, it's just a really a matter of getting to know that kid, building that trust, and them opening up more and more to you. And as they open up more to you and you learn what they've overcome, and you as the mentor identify, okay, what what could they learn from that? What what strength did that build and help the mentee see that because a lot of times 
these kids from hard places, they don't realize just how much value they have as a result of all they've already overcome. They don't realize how strong they are. It's natural to them. It's mm-hmm. like they don't, they don't think twice about it. It's just a survival instinct. Mm-hmm. But they don't realize how many people who came from different environments, whether they were middle class or wealthy, don't have that strength, don't have that resilience, who wish they could pay for that <laughs> resilience. So it's just a matter of bridging that gap. And I guess as a mentor, helping them see like, yeah, you have this skill. It can be utilized in this way. So just, yes, a matter of connecting the dots, helping them see that, hey, these skills you have, you don't have to just be uh, do something illegal, steal, sell drugs, whatever. You're not limited to that. You you can these skills are valuable as a CEO. These skills are valuable as um, whatever they decide to be, entrepreneur, you name it. These skills are transferable. So it's really helping them see that because a lot of them they don't. And another one, I'm a big fan of quotes, as you know. But Oprah, she says, "Where there is no struggle, there is no strength," and that's so powerful to me because, mm-hmm. and everyone I quoted in my book, they came from poverty, but now they're. They're millionaires, they're billionaires, and it's they realize that they they realize that's the secret. Like, wow, resilience is it'll take you so far. Being able to get knocked down and get back up, and Oprah is a great example of that. She had such a hard um, childhood, but by her not having that victim mentality, by her really changing her perspective on how she viewed it, seeing it more as a competitive advantage than a disadvantage. She was, hey, the rest is history. She was able to thrive. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you've now made a career out of <laughs> mentoring um, and helping other people with Mentor Select, um, specifically in, in their careers, correct? And so how, how do you, when you are meeting with someone or talking with someone about their passions, how do you draw that out of them? Like, do you, what are some mm. good questions that you ask or conversations that you strive to have with people that you are mentoring? Um, if, even if it's in the direction towards a career, but how do you kind of draw out other people's passions? Cause I think all of our kids have passions. Every single person has a passion and as a mentor, it's our job to ask good questions. And so you, as someone who has made a career out of this, what are some good questions that you like to ask? I think I still is from Simon Sinek where he says, start with why. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so important because a lot of times kids are conditioned to say, okay, they want to choose a career based on how much money they think they're going to make. Yeah. That's not their why. That's not, if it is their why, it's going to be short lived. Mm. And I actually followed that path. So after getting out of the the army in a matter of six months, I went from making $18,000 a year to making six figures. Thanks oh. to a mentor. <laughs> I'll bring that up if we have time. But but for a period of about eight years of doing that, it was all about the money. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I got to the point I realized there's so much, so much stuff I can buy. It's only so many trips I can go on. It was still that void. Like, yeah. I'm doing this for me. Even though I'm still helping my family and friends, it just was more about me. I was the center of it all. That was the driving force, mm-hmm. how much money I can make. But once I made that transition to, okay, what is my why? Who do I want to serve? What legacy do I want to leave? Then that puts it all into context. Like It, it makes it crystal clear at that point. So mm-hmm. I think mentors really need to help mentees realize that if they're following their passions, if they're walking in their purpose, the money's going to come. 
Mm-hmm. I don't care what you're doing. You can make a lot of money doing it if you're serving a lot of people. So just help them not focus so much on money and more so on the impact they're going to make and more so yeah. on how many people they can help with their unique gifts because I believe everyone has unique gifts. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of identifying them and aligning them with a cause that you're really passionate about that you, like I'm sure you all, you love what you're doing. You, you love coming mm-hmm. to work every day and the just the impact you're making on these kids is priceless. So yeah. it's just kind of help mentees really understand that. It's a lot more to it than money. And you think you think about like the richest people, a lot of times it's going to be athletes and entrepreneurs or whatever, but I'm going to use a LeBron, for example. He still works so hard every day practicing, every day to get better and better. And I remember thinking before I found my passion, thinking like if I have that much money, I'm not going to work that hard anymore. I'm just going to be mm-hmm. on the beach <laughs> chilling, <laughs> having a good time. But once I found my passion, once I found that purpose, that higher calling, it was like, I don't care how much money I have. This will never fulfill what I'm getting from serving others, making other people's mm-hmm. lives better. That's, mm-hmm. And that's what when we look at. You see rich people like that who are still doing so much more. It's because the money's not. They're not doing it for the money. It's, it's about their legacy. It's about who they're, who they can help. When a mentor relationship ended, like that, that was difficult. How did how did I mean closure happen with your mentor relationships? So after I um, joined the army, I also realized like my, my uncle Tommy set that foundation. He taught me good work ethic. He taught me what it means to be a man. Those those qualities I needed. But even as a young adult, I still desperately needed mentors. So mm-hmm. I was fortunate where. I had mentors step up and really pretty much take that baton from my Uncle Tommy. And one of my first mentors when I was in the Army, he was a command sergeant major, Gary Toll. He he really taught me what it was like, to, what how important it is to be professional and everything you do, do it with excellence, things like that. And to this day, I haven't seen, uh, seen him since 2003, but we stayed in contact. Yeah. We stayed in contact via email, phone, things like that. And he's still one of my closest mentors. And then from there, once I got out of the Army and uh, was working in Iraq as a contractor, another man, Terrence uh, Baker, he stepped up. He took the baton from Gary Toll and continued mentoring me, teaching me about how to build wealth and how to make sure my finances are in order. And it's just that, that I think that happens throughout your life where where one mentor, for whatever reason, falls off or you're just in a different phase of your life, another mentor can can take over. And it kind of goes back to what you're saying, where if a mentor has to have to leave and leave town or whatever, where they can't maintain that relationship, that's where other mentors can take that baton for them and, yeah. and, and fill that gap. So an, another one of my mentors, her name is Ann Barrup. And me, once I told her about mentor selecting what I was doing, she's like, oh, you got to meet, you got to meet Zach. He's, he's doing great things before I run a mentor. I want you to get involved in him. And she sent me, I think I went on y'all's website, or she may have sent me the information to sign up. And I remember reading, like, the criteria to be a mentor was you have to be a, belong to a church. And at the time, I was I didn't belong to any church. So it, it kind of rubbed me in the wrong way, like, wait, wait a minute, I know I can be a great mentor. I know I have all this to offer kids, but that's a disqualifier for me because I don't belong to a church. 
And I responded to Ann. I, I, I remember emailing her and saying, it's not going to be a good fit for me for a mentor because I don't belong to a church. And I expected her to kind of preach to me or be like, you just kind of really poke me about it, really prop me about it. But I remember her responding like, pretty much like, okay, I understand. And literally like six months later, I was, I was meeting with her and she invited me to church. She goes to Watermark. And I, at that point, I was more open to going to church. And it really made an impact because I was so used to with Christians being really aggressive. Mm. She wasn't. Mm. And my wife and I went to Watermark with her. I hadn't been in church in like 10 years. Went wow. to Watermark with her. And <clears throat> after that, I realized, like, I want to I get back involved in church. And now I'm a member of Shoreline. Every mentor doesn't just have to be authoritative and assertive. Like, yeah, they can just be a voice and yeah. an invitation and plant that seed. Yeah, that's what she did. Because mm-hmm. if, if that day, when she, if you were responding back, like, no, you need to go to church with me this Sunday, <laughs> it should have been like the typical aggressive, I would have shut down. Right. Most wow. likely, I would have never, never came back to as far as finding God and Jesus. It, it was shut, I would have shut down. But by her not being that way, by her like, okay, I'll give you more time to think when you're ready. And she she sensed it. Like, I was ready. Mm. Wow. That's awesome. That's so good. Just a good word just to be in tune with the people that you're interacting with, you know. And someone noticed when I was listening to Zach's interview, how he mentioned like some of his mentors where they, they wasn't trying to change him. They accept him for who he was. Mm. That's, that's, I just got to reiterate that for mentors, you, you're not there to change them. And you, you have to accept them for who they are, and you, you're planting those seeds, and most importantly, you're leading by example. So once they see how you're, you've been a leader, you're being Christ-like, they'll eventually come around. You, you can't force it. But, yes, yeah, just you just lead by example. Don't, don't try to change them, accept them for who they are. Let them know that who they are is perfectly fine and that really is going to open up that, that level of communication and that trust. Yeah. Mm, that's good. I love it, man. Real. Oh, it's so good, Derek. <laughs> it's been um, fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I just think, um, man, how awesome it is that now in life you, you get to be the guy that is helping people find their purpose yeah, in, in a meaningful thing to give their life to and mentoring is so valuable for our own purpose. Our purpose is helping others find their purpose and drawing out the mm-hmm. gold that's within each person that we mentor. And it's just so good. Definitely. Could you, do you have any other uh, practical encouragement for a mentor who is maybe they're, they're about to just start mentoring uh, a kid um, from a hard place. What a, what are some practical encouragements you have for them as they're kind of jumping in um, to that relationship to build relationship and what their mindset should be walking into it? Mm-hmm. Definitely start off telling them congratulations. This is going to be a it's going to be an experience where it's not one sided. That mentor is going to learn just as much from that mentee and gain just as much from that relationship. So be open to that. 
don't approach it as a one-sided, you're just pouring it to them. They're going to pour into you as well. So it's just, it's like you're saying, it's a priceless experience. They're going to make a great impact for no matter how long they're involved in that mentee's life. And who knows, decades later, your mentee is going to be on a podcast saying the impact that you made or writing about you in their book or it's, you just never know. And I, for me, I have to thank today. I'm a, what I'm most proud of is being a husband and a father. Mm-hmm. And without mentors, that would have never happened. Uh, mm-hmm. I know wow. without a doubt, I would have, without Uncle Tommy, I would be dead in prison. Without a doubt, just because of that environment, it was it's very little room for error in that type of environment. You have any direction. And just as being menteed by all those great mentors, being able to say that, that's just like, that's the greatest payback for me, being able to, and then also being able to pay it for it. That's the biggest thing where knowing this men, mentor's mentor, they're going to, they're instilling those those seeds where later down the road, their mentees are going to become mentors and it's just keep passing it forward. So it's, it's just the, the greatest yeah. thing we can do in terms mm-hmm. of like, that's Christ like here on earth is being mentors. Yes. That's awesome. So good. And something you all mentioned in terms of me listening to a couple of your, your shows is for mentors to realize that you don't have to be an expert on mentorship, <laughs> that your doctor is in it, or you just have to be genuine. You just have to really care. That's the criteria. Mm-hmm. If you care about that ment- mentee, then you're going to make a difference. You're going to share your life experiences with them, and that's all you need. Thank you for sharing with us. Yeah. It was so, so good. good. Thanks for Gage, having how me. can people connect with you? You wrote this book, Poverty, Powerball, but what's other ways people can connect with you? So I have my website up. It's DerichPhillips.com. So you can check my website. Also my podcast, Mentor Select. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all of those. And uh, you can go also MentorSelect.com as well. So certainly check out my podcast subscribe so i can have 10 listeners <laughs> to 10 subscribers <laughs> as well or you know, a couple it. more books coming out too <laughs> I, in the I, works at I least i do so uh, i just released poverty powerball in may uh the next book i plan on writing and i'll release the name one here with you all is uh, <laughs> exclusive uh it's called father figures mm, cool. and the whole concept behind the book is for boys who father is not in the home for whatever reason helping them realize that there's so many father figures around them that can teach them how to become a man. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. So good. Okay. We'll put that stuff in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Clearly Derich is all over the internet. So please connect (laughs) everywhere. Um, Man, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Y'all doing great things. I love what you're doing and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Well, hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like today's episode, please share on the social medias somewhere. Uh, you can tag us. You can mentor. Let us know if you have any feedback about today's episode. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes and go check out Derich's podcast, Mentor Select. Thank you so much for listening today. And if there's anything you picked up from today's episode, let it be this. You can mentor.